0: Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 1, says this, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received... Or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I am unskilled in speaking. I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Akai. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I'm doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false Apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Well, evil is not always what it appears to be. Uh, we think that we would know evil when we see it. We think that evil is out there recognizable, but often evil is hard to discern, hard to see. A psychologist named Catherine Ramsland talks about uh, people who uh, most of us would be consider to be kind of the most evil people in the world, serial killers, and she says this. She says, the public wants monsters to be obvious, and many novels and films support this naive hope. But some monsters do live among us, easily and with little detection, because they're savvy, savvy about how to deflect suspicion. It's really a scary thought to think about. And she goes on to cite many examples of evil that lived among us. Uh, one example is Judy Ridgeland. Uh, Judy Ridgeland was married to uh, famed serial killer Gary Ridgway, Gary Ridgway for fourteen years. He was apparently a good husband. She described him as her knight in shining armor. She would freq- he would frequently buy her uh, flowers and candy. For all accounts, an awesome husband, and meanwhile, he was murdering women on the side, murdered about 49 women. Lionel Dahmer, uh, the father of Jeffrey Dahmer, Uh, he had no idea what was happening with his son. In fact, uh, his son Jeffrey asked his dad for money to buy a freezer. Little did he know what that freezer was going to be used for. Uh, Dennis Rader, the famous BTK killer, he was elected president of his local church, Uh, His pastor and his wife had no idea what was going on, no idea that he was a serial killer. Ted Bundy was working uh, in a crisis hotline center, uh, counseling with people while he was killing people at nighttime. Um, Remarkably, he was working at the Washington Department of Emergency Services, and he met a woman named Carol Ann Boone. They became friends, and uh, part of their job was looking for missing persons, and some of those missing persons were the people that he had killed. She fell in love with him after he got convicted, after he was on trial for murder. He was on trial for two murder accounts, and she actually married him in the courtroom. She had a child with him while he was on death row, and she didn't realize till the very end that he had actually done all these things. She was so naive that she believed him, believed him, that he didn't really do anything wrong right until near the end. John Wayne Gatesy was burying victims under his house, meanwhile engaging in charity work and running a business. Uh, Colonel Russell Williams was a highly decorated Canadian military veteran. He was described as a bright, shining star of the military, highly respected, highly vetted, uh, carried, uh, transported a number of very important people like uh, Queen Elizabeth, um, the Prime Minister of Canada, lots of different important people, and they had no idea that he was a serial killer uh, and also a serial uh, burglar. Evil is not always what it seems to be. Sometimes evil can be commonplace. Sometimes evil can be even attractive. Uh, In the passage that we're looking at today, Paul describes Satan as one who masquerades or disguises himself as an angel of light. Now think about that for a moment. He He disguises himself as an angel. Think of angels in the Scripture think of the times when people met angels there were a number of times in scripture when people met angels and they were just so overwhelmed that they were in fear they fell down they thought they were in the presence of God um, just overwhelmed by their presence other times when people made angels um, maybe they're not overwhelmed at the beginning but they come to realize that this angel is carrying out a divine purpose that they have supernatural uh, supernatural mission so Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He's this powerful being. We think that when we'd see him, you know, we we have pictures of of a pitchfork and horns. You know, an artist would probably pictured him that way so that we would have a you know dislike for him. But if we were to meet Satan, probably wouldn't look like that. If we were to meet him, he would be probably alluring in some sense. Maybe even attractive. There would be something compelling about him. Something that would kind of draw us in because Paul says he disguises himself as an angel of light. He makes it seem like he's doing the right thing. He makes it seem like he's on our side. Think about what he did to Adam and Eve. Paul mentions that, the, the scheming, the cunning that he had. He made them think that he was on their side. He made them think that here's a little bit of wisdom, here's a little bit of guidance to help you in your life. That's what Satan does. He disguises himself as an angel of good, an angel of light. He makes us think that he's on our side, that he's working for us. But also says, Paul also says that the workers, uh, the false teachers, the false apostles that he's encountering uh, also do the same thing. They are also servants. They disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They pretend like they're doing the right thing And like Satan, they're very good at it. And there are a number of things that were very attractive about these false teachers or false apostles. Number one, they were better speakers than Paul. At least that's what most people thought. They thought they had better rhetorical skills, they were better speakers, they were more persuasive, so they were attractive in that sense. They were also attractive in another sense. Paul, uh, as as an apostle of God for the, the, the church of Corinth, he decided he wasn't going to accept any money from them. Um, He worked a job on the side, he was a tent maker, Uh, he accepted some donations from some other churches, but for some reason he decided he wasn't going to accept uh, money from from the church at Corinth for his own personal uh, needs. Probably it was because probably because it was the, the church was so messed up, there were so many different issues, he didn't want to feel obligated, or he didn't feel want to feel like he had to be in, in certain people's good graces. He just didn't want money to be on the table at all. So he decided he wasn't going to accept any money from the Corinthians. Now you think that would be a good-natured thing. You think they would respect that, but they didn't. That was actually a problem. Because in the ancient world, when someone was a good speaker, they would accept money. For their services, and so in the church of Corinth, he's speaking. He's proclaiming the gospel. They're coming up here. Here's here's some money. He's like, no, no, thanks. It was almost offensive, and so it would be less attractive than if he accepted money. Now think about it like this. So let's say that you're going to a concert. Would you want to hear someone who plays in bars on the weekends and? you know, has a nine-to-five job. Would you rather hear someone like that or would you rather hear someone who does it for a living, sells out the Keybake Center and it costs like $100 plus per ticket to go there? I mean, just a person who sells tickets who's a professional, you would think that their music would have more value than someone who just kind of is an amateur. And so in their minds, Paul is just kind of an amateur. He's not a professional Speaker and so there were things about these false teachers that were more attractive than the Apostle Paul, even though there's teaching teaching things that were opposed to God's word. And Paul states that he has a goal; that his goal is to present the Corinthians to the Lord as pure, that they would have a pure and undefiled love for the Lord. And he uses kind of the illustration of marriage in the in the ancient world when a family would uh, enter into a marriage. Um, It was the responsibility of the father to make sure that his daughter remained pure before the marriage. If the if the couple were betrothed, it was the father's responsibility to make sure she didn't engage in iniquity before the wedding. Because if the if she did, then it would call, cause the whole wedding to be called off. It would bring shame upon the family. And so that was the father's responsibility. And so Paul says, as your spiritual father, it's my responsibility to present you to the Lord as pure and undefiled. And so I need you to be careful. I need you to be on guard against these false false teachers who would seek to lead you astray from the gospel. And he mentions the purity of the of the church at Corinth. And he talks about three different things that these false teachers may try to preach. And three things that they need to avoid if they're going to stay pure before the Lord. Three ways that these false teachers and the world and the devil tries to get us to turn away from Christ, how they disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Number one, he says they preach a different Lord. He says another Jesus than the one that we proclaim. We lose our purity, purity when we lose our devotion to Christ. We lose our purity when someone or something else takes control of our lives. The temptation here of the Corinthians was someone coming and proclaiming a different Jesus than the one he proclaimed. Substitute Christ's or false conceptions of Christ. The devil and his workmen try to get us to believe that other things, that someone, someone or something other than Jesus is more worthy than our praise. To believe that, fill in the blank, someone or something else is more satisfying to me than Christ. Now in our world, you know, it's not another God. In, in, in the Corinthians world, oftentimes it was maybe other gods, literally, but in our world, it's often not other gods. It's not that we're following after or worshiping an idol per se. But oftentimes, the idol that we're worshiping is the idol of self. That's, I'm in charge. I'm not gonna, no one's going to tell me what to do. That we're not following any religious leader or religious program. It's, I'm going to decide what's right for me. And when we decide that we're going to decide what's right for us, then maybe we think that, you know, maybe it's career. Maybe it's our career that's most important. And we think that's the thing that's going to satisfy us. That's the thing that's going to fill the hole in our hearts. Or maybe it's our family, or maybe it's a, a, a substance, or maybe it's sex. It could be a number of different things. But we put our on the throne and we say, no one else is going to tell me what to do. And the self becomes the Lord. So that's one way that we can be led away from Christ to follow a different Lord. The second is to follow a kind of a, a, an incorrect uh image of who Christ is. Some in the church in Corinth were maybe proclaiming the name of Jesus, but the Jesus they proclaimed was not the Jesus of Nazareth that's described in the Scripture. So sometimes people will have false conceptions of Christ. Sometimes maybe it's a Christ who's extremely Uh, harsh, extremely rigid, extremely legalistic, who shows no grace, no mercy. On the other hand, maybe it's a Jesus who's meek and mild, who doesn't call us to change, who just kind of affirms us where we're at. And both of those mindsets are kind of caricatures. We just take one attribute of Christ, and we amplify that, and we make that's who Christ is. And usually it's the, the attribute we like the most. Rather than seeing Jesus in all of his glory as a multifaceted person, it's the image of the invisible God. We make him into our own image. And that leads us astray. There's a man by the name of Arthur Burns, and Arthur Burns uh, was the uh, chairman of the United States Federal Reserve System for several years. He advised a number of presidents from uh, Eisenhower to Reagan, and he was a very influential person uh, he wasn't a huge man, but um, kind of average height, silvery hair, always was carrying a pipe around. And he just had a weight to him when he entered the room. And when, people, when he spoke, people listened. So in the course of time, they had a prayer meeting, a uh, White House prayer meeting, and he would attend this prayer meeting. And the thing that was interesting was he was Jewish, and most of the people who came to this were Christians. And so he would come to the prayer meeting day after, you know, week after week for a long period of time, and people didn't quite know how to handle him. I mean, they knew he was Jewish, and they, just, they wanted him to be included, but they didn't know want him to make, make him feel uncomfortable. So they never really called on him to pray. They, he was just kind of there and supporting. Then one day this new person comes, had no idea who, who he was, and calls on him to pray. So people are thinking, you know, what's he gonna say? How's this gonna turn out? And Burns uh, joined hand with, with those around him, stood up, and he said this prayer. He said, Lord, I pray that you would bring Jews to know Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bring Muslims to know Jesus Christ. Finally, Lord, I pray that you would bring Christians to know Jesus Christ. Amen. As believers, we need to know. Jesus Christ. The false teachers will come and proclaim a different Lord. The world tries to get us to believe in a different Lord. And we need to run to the Scriptures. We have something that the Corinthians believers didn't have. We have the whole record of the New Testament. They didn't have that. They would have just kind of fragments of letters that Paul wrote. They were maybe familiar with some of these writings. We have the whole thing. And so we know what Christ did. We know who Jesus is. We need to run to His Word and spend time with Him to know who He is. So they proclaim a different Lord. The second thing they do is proclaim a different path. Paul says about, talks about receiving a different spirit than the one that you received. As believers in Christ, we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does many things. He's a helper. Uh, but one of the things, primary things He does is He changes us. He transforms us into the image of Christ. And throughout the writings of Paul, we see many admonitions, encouragements to walk in the Spirit. Romans 8, 9-11 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The way to honor Christ and grow in our Christian life is by yielding to the Holy Spirit. He's the fuel. He's the power behind our transformation. Just like a car needs gasoline to to move forward, we need the Holy Spirit to fuel us. And Of course, you get into a car, you have to turn the car on, you have to press the gas, but... You can't go anywhere without the fuel. We can't go anywhere without the Holy Spirit. But false teachers in the world will come and they'll say, "You can do it yourself. You don't need God in your life. You're a good person, you can become a better person, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can please God. If you want to go to heaven, you just got to make sure that your good outweighs your bad, and everything will be okay." There are literally thousands of voices in our world that are telling us this is the way to find life. This is the way to be satisfied. This is the way to have peace. But God's answer to these things is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And see, Satan tries to get us as believers to believe this too. He tries to get us to believe we can do it in our own strength. Maybe we know that you know we can't be saved in our own strength. We trust in Christ to save us. But maybe we think that we can change without his help. Maybe we think that we can accomplish things of eternal significance without his help. And so we accept Christ by faith, but then we're living kind of as practical atheists. We're just trying to do things our own way and our own strength. Trying to serve him with all of our hearts, but we're not relying on the fuel, the Holy Spirit. Alan Redpath put it this way. In many Christian circles, the Holy Spirit is either neglected, forgotten, or misunderstood. The one given to to unite the body of Christ is the center of controversy. This is the nettle which ought to be firmly grasped. So often, Christian work is so rigidly programmed that it seems we need no longer depend on him. Yet Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Listen to this by the uh, late Dr. A.W. Tozer. He said this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. Sadly, Satan has won in many respects. Sadly, we don't rely on the Holy Spirit like we need to. Sadly, we try to do things in our own strength with our own ingenuity rather than relying on him, the only one who has the power to do things of eternal significance. So false teachers and the world will try to get us to follow after a different path, to leave the source of life, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, and to do things in our own strength. Finally, false teachers will proclaim to us a different gospel. Paul says if you accept a different gospel from the one you accept it, False teachers preach a different gospel than the one that Paul proclaimed. The gospel that Paul proclaimed, and in, in short, is Jesus Christ. He's the gospel. He came to the earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again, and that changes everything. For those who trust in Him, we can have a relationship with God that starts now and goes on to, into eternity. That we can have a hope of eternal life. But these false teachers will come and they'll say, Something else is the good news. There's something else that should move your heart. Something else that should move your spirit. There's a number of false gospels that are taught today that the world tries to get us to believe in. Number one, the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel tells us good news. If you come to Christ, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. If, In other words, if you come to Christ, you're going to get what your heart truly wants. Your heart wants Money. Your heart wants health. Your heart wants wisdom. And if you come to Christ, you're going to get those things. There's the affirmation gospel. The affirmation gospel goes like this. Good news. You're doing great. You're sufficient in and of yourselves. You're strong. You're enough. You don't need to change. All you need to do is believe in yourself. There's the achievement gospel. Good news. If you do the right things you can become a moral person. In other words, I can become a better person, maybe a better person than those around me. And the achievement gospel produces pride. Jesus is the gospel, and anything that deviates from Jesus being the good news, the reality of which transforms our heart, anything else is a false gospel, a false good news. There's a man named Charles Berry. He was an English minister in the 1800s, and he... Uh, became a minister in New York City, and he was uh, at his first pastorate. Um, And he had this kind of shallow view of the gospel. And he describes how he came to know Jesus Christ. Uh, He believed in Jesus Christ as a person, but he believed he was just kind of a moral person, that he'd come to the earth to just kind of show us how to love, how to be a better person. And he was a minister of the gospel. And one night he was sleeping, and he had this young lady knock on his door, he comes to the door. She says, hurry, please come. My mother is dying. He thought that maybe he, he, her, uh, her mother was drunk, as, as was common uh, in that time, time frame. So he said, just call the police. They'll take care of her. But she insisted, no, she's dying. She needs to know how to get in. She needs to know how to get into heaven. So he gets dressed. He walks down this lonely street and he comes to Her bedside, and he says, Jesus was a great person. He loves you. He taught you how to live a better life. She said, No. She said, That's no use for the likes of me. I'm a sinner. I've lived my life. Can't you tell me of someone who can have mercy upon me and save my soul? Barry goes on and says this I stood there in the presence of a dying woman and I realized I had nothing to tell her. In the midst of sin and death, I had no message. In order to bring something to that dying woman, I leaped back to my mother's knee, to my cradle faith, and I told her the story of the cross and of Christ who is able to save to the uttermost. The tears began to run down the woman's cheeks. Now you're getting it, she said. Now you're helping me. Barry concluded the story by saying this. I got her in. And blessed be to God, I got in myself. The world will tell us different Gospels. Now, these are the things that you need to put your hope, to put your trust in. There's only one Gospel. His name is Jesus Christ. So false teachers will try to proclaim a different Lord, a different spirit, a different way to earn our salvation or to live the Christian life in a different Gospel. That's the playbook of the enemy. To make evil seem ordinary. To make it seem attractive. And to lead us to destruction. And then we need to make sure that we don't give in to his schemes. We need to make sure that we stay close to the Father. There's a man by the name of uh, Hampton Sides, or I'm sorry, George DeLong. He was a lieutenant of the USS Jeanette. Hampton Sides tells his story in the book The Kingdom of Ice. And his dream was always to take a boat through the North Pole. He believed he could do that because he was following a mistaken map. His entire expedition, his entire work rested upon a a map by someone named Dr. August Heinrich. His maps suggested that there was a thermometric gateway through the North Pole that you'd go through this gateway and then there was a temperate sea on top of the world. But it turned out, of course, that doesn't exist. And so they started to go through and they started to encounter ice and they came to this realization, either we're going to crash or we have to abandon our conceptions of what's there and turn around. In a similar way, there's different philosophies, different perspectives that the world is throwing against us, different maps, so to speak, That this is the way to be satisfied. This is the way to find life. And if we follow after those maps, it's going to end in destruction. Famous mathematician Blaise Pascal once said this, It's natural for the mind to believe and for the will to love, so that for want of true objects, they must attach themselves to false he says it's natural for the mind to believe and for the will to love so that for want of true objects, they must attach themselves to false. What Paschal means by that is if Christ is not occupying our hearts and our minds, then we'll be open to other suggestions. Just like someone who's single is kind of open to different options, someone who's married has only one option. And if we're devoted to Christ, then all those other options are off the table. And so I think that's the point of this passage today. When our hearts are anchored to Christ, our lives will not be swayed by the world. When our hearts are anchored to Christ, our lives will not be swayed by the world. We need to be aware of the enemy's schemes because he's crafty. He's not a devil with pitchfork horns. He's a devil who appears as an angel of light. He appears attractive, appears alluring, appears good. Seems like he has our best interests in mind, but he's going to lead us to destruction. And so we need to stay anchored to our bridegroom, Christ. We need to stay anchored to him so that we're ready when he returns. We have the scriptures. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The question is: Are we going to run to him? Are we going to believe in him? We're we going to trust in him. We're we going to yield to his power in our lives. I'd like to close with reading the words of the famous hymn that we're going to sing in just a moment, A Mighty Fortress. Mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Do we in our own strength confide Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name, from age to age the same. And He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The Prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gift are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. When our hearts are anchored to Christ we won't be swayed by the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your great grace. We thank you that you're an anchor for our souls. We thank you that you are a mighty fortress that we can run to. That we don't need to fear the arrows of the enemy that seek to destroy us because we are resting in your arms. Lord, as believers in Christ, help us to be aware of the schemes of the enemy. Help us to be aware of the ways that he tries to get us to go astray. But most of all, help us to rely on your Holy Spirit to stay close to you so that we're not swayed by the schemes of the enemy. So that even when he comes as an angel of light, pretending like he's looking out for us, pretending like he has our best interests in mind, we turn and walk away and find rest in your loving arms. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.